everybody, and welcome to Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. I'm your host, Ray Agustinelli, uh, talking to you on January 5th, 2019, our first podcast in quite a while, and certainly our first of this year. I'm joined by two extraordinary individuals, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, the yes, greatest sir. of all sinners. Hey, Jeff. Hey, good morning. Good morning to you. It is still morning. And Paul Gustinelli, my bro, who we call Dr. Zen. Morning, guys, and top of the year. Top of the year to you. So we have a full slate today. We have been queuing up quite a few observations over the course of the year. <laughs> and um, we have a lot to reflect upon. Uh, looking back on some topics um, that have caught our interest and compelled our imaginations over the past year and uh, looking forward a little bit uh, to what we might anticipate in the year ahead in a few topics as we usually do. We'll skirt into some tech things, uh, talk about some pop cultural things, uh, some reflections on society in general, get into some uh, talks on politics and maybe even touch on things like faith and spirituality since Genius. that I know is near and dear to both of uh, your guys' hearts and minds and heart minds. So uh, anyway, <laughs> what have you been up to recently? Anything recently happening? It, it is really great to see you guys. I just want to say, kicking off, I do notice to paint a word picture for our listeners that you guys both have the beards going. Yeah, yeah, start of the year. Right. Don't know if there's sure. a, something yeah. planned or strategic in that, but you both are looking smashing. You're a little scruffy too. I'm a little scruffy, less so than, than you guys. Complete um, laziness on my part, Jeff. No master design. How about yourself? Oh, just it's it's you got to make sure this is beautiful. You know, and <laughs> so that's what I'm got it. You got to do what you got to do. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I had a great encounter this morning I wanted to share with you guys. I was in the coffee shop and these, this thing happens which normally would just torque everybody off and okay. just cause, you know, just you'd have a terrible start to your day. Sure. I'm sitting there at the coffee shop. All the other three tables around me are full with people. The woman next to me gets up and says, I, can, I, can I move your table in a foot to the right? I need a little bit more space for the three people who aren't here. It's <laughs> making room for someone. And, and she was just so like cheerful about it. I was like, all right, yeah, that's, that's fine. We can do that. She proceeds to go down the line and ask the other two tables to move two feet down and then 18 <laughs> inches down and then 12 inches down to get perfect spacing in her tables. And normally you would think, why is this woman doing this? But she had this big smile on her face. She said, excuse me, I'm sorry I'm being OCD. And everybody who was sitting at these tables, we've got like six, seven people just laughing along with her. Oh my God, don't we all get an OCD moment wow. sometimes? It was a collective nice bomb. It was really great, and I love to kick off the year like that. A collective nice bomb. Wow. Exploding in the coffee shop. And, and it just it seems like maybe you guys are kind of being enablers. I'm not terribly happy about the whole thing. But uh, that's what you're saying, is normally everybody would feel that way, and instead people just... Uh, just uh, but they exploded a nice bomb. Yeah. yeah. Now, can I can I gather, Jeff, that if you had been there, you might be a little bit less uh, accommodating and to say this is this is really bad precedent to set. You know, just not of only for today, but for future times. Miss <laughs> <laughs> re furniture rearranger. I, I think that one of the things about this podcast is that oftentimes we're we're disclosing a little too much of ourselves <laughs> and we're maybe uh, showing too much and this sort of thing. But I am. I'm very troubled by people who are trying to control me. I don't, uh, I don't there's like a little bit of social like engineering that. going and on there. There is physical engineering. And there's, yeah, there's a little bit of just being in my bubbleness a yeah. little bit. And I'm like, no, you, you know, I'm, I, I, I'm, I hear you, but yeah. that's, a, that's, that's not, that's a you thing, yeah. not a me thing. <laughs> now, I, I do like the fact that if you, if, if I could just think about that for a second and say, 
I guess I don't mind scooching over yeah. two feet. You do it. And, and so hopefully I would do that. But the, my first reaction, I'm sure, it, it made my, uh, you know, it just made my, what, my, a little bit of adrenaline drop into my system and this and that. Someone say, hey, I'd like to do this and, and I need you to change something. Yeah. Uh, uh, but so anyway, I, I like, I'd, like to, I'd yeah. like nice bombs. Could I, be, I think yeah. that's a good thing. Could be, and then maybe that's what's so nice about it. Is could have been annoying, went the other way. I love it. I love it. Setting. Very, so very holiday season yeah. sort of carryover. I like it's like a Dickensian <laughs> yeah. sort of thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I'm all I'm all jacked up on Diplo's Revolution, listening to that on the way up. Is here. that right? Yeah. And it just was a fun way to start my day. It's uh-huh. a medicine being with you guys and that sort of thing. We're talking a little bit about um, what we liked of last year and, and what yeah. we see of next year and yeah. that sort of thing. I did not find anything. Uh, that would um, would topple Busta Rhymes' uh, Cookie Monster Wuha mashup. On the- <laughs> but other than that, I think we've got some fun stuff. Can to you talk sing about. a few bars or give a beat or something <laughs> for those of us who haven't experienced it? That's that's the end of everyone's career when they try to do. All right, Busta yeah. I think that's good enough. That's a great story. Hey, let's let's touch on tech first. We get into tech issues pretty frequently on this podcast. Let's start uh, there. A little bit of a look back. What what have you seen, Paul? Kind of this past year, any sort of emerging themes? All of us are kind of in tech, and so much has happened in in tech this year. And for me, most of it has not been funny. And I'm finding it hard to make funny. Uh, This, you know, the thing that was appalling to me most was Mark Zuckerberg's appearance before the Senate, which with a a very patronizing, arrogant, and very callow presentation about um, we're trying to do our best with this immense power that we have. Uh, Oops, sorry, we pointed the nuclear bomb on your on your country. Oops, you know, mistake. Um, You know, you guys. Here's how nuclear weapons work. Okay, Um, so I just it just feels like social media. Media companies are are uh, they're getting a lot of scrutiny. It's deservedly so. Mm-hmm. Facebook's complicity in the Myanmar genocide. Oh my oh, God, we're yeah. genocide already. I'm that? so sorry, guys. Yeah. Oops. Um, it's just oops. <laughs> yeah, just um, just just really. Uh, uh, horrifying, actually horrifying, is the is, is the word to me. Um, so, th- but the social media companies and the tech industry in general seems to be like a bunch of little boys with guns. And I hope they clean up their act, and I get hope they get some help growing up, so that we as a society can can move forward more conscionably. You know, so um, to me, it's uh, it, it's it. They do. It does seem a lot of like bowls of the apocalypse being poured out upon the earth. Again, this might be our funniest podcast. Like, are you getting a little of that feel? Are you getting a little of that vibe? I, I see it going in that direction. Yeah. Maybe. Uh huh. Maybe. And in talking, just a tiny bit, riffing off the the tech stuff just a little bit. You know, the the show Black Mirror continues to be like the darkest thing in the history right. of humankind. Right. And did you guys see ba- the Bandersnatch episode? Have you no. messed with it? at all. Not yet. Read about it. Have not seen it. And and read a a lot about how, you know, there, there are people that are warning that um, that these decisions that you make are being recorded by Netflix mm-hmm. and could could be uh, subpoenaed and if if you were uh, uh, you know to essentially what decisions do you make how would you have a proclivity towards gore and violence because there's a lot of that in Bandersnatch and and it's just interesting that's a little bit of my theme for next year too as as well as is genetic information mm-hmm. uh, that everyone is it, it's a fascinating window into people in in that. Mm-hmm. I have not met anyone who did not do a 23andMe or a Ancestry or, or one of those services that was not completely shocked 
with mm. the results. Mm. Every one of us have either been misled Ooh. or have been completely wrong mm. about a lot of what we did in this and that. I, my dad told me in my whole life we were Germans and Pennsylvania Dutch have maybe no German in us at all. Wow. And my wife, who has spent her entire life very much a tribal Italian. I mean, you know what I mean? Just really identifying in every way the food and this and that. She's got more Greek in her than Italian. Whoa. Which I think is fantastic, you know? And but is is it's it's very disturbing to the family. They had one member of the family that discovered that she wasn't related to anyone at all. The dad essentially wasn't who she thought she was. Wow. These sorts of things. Yes. And so um, we are going to be learning a lot about ourselves, and I'm not sure. I, I think it's a great thing. I mean, I think it will turn out to be a good thing. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to me how disruptive it is now. And that's kind of my theme, is, is how disruptive technology will be. And that's a good thing, mm -hmm. but it, it can also be a bad thing. So. Yeah, I, and, I, and my observation really is right along the same lines. Mm. And it, it's the enormous power inherent in these new technologies that I think have started to bloom in the last few years, and what's been notable this year is that there has been a greater recognition about that power, about its capabilities for abuse and destruction. Uh, again, in the theme that we're trying to be as light as possible and oh, funny sure, on this sure. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so, and I think there is this greater recognition, and I think the bloom is off the rose a little bit in a lot of these things. Uh, the Spider-Man thing is like with great power comes great responsibility, and I think there's maybe a recognition that the responsibility part of it is not being being observed by these little boys with guns mm -hmm. and that it may be the case that other parties, adults in the room, need to step in, possibly regulate these these uh, industries more fully, uh, certainly uh, enforce some level of transparency where normal people are aware of kind of what's going on uh, behind the scenes uh, in ways that affect our lives daily. So it's kind of like, in my mind, the empire fights back. To some extent, the tech companies were the rebel army, you know, building up these uh, enormous uh, guerrilla armies out of their uh, garages and now uh, the state is uh, kind of bouncing back a little bit and it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Hopefully there's a corrective that winds up in a place that's a, a good balance and good for everybody. But uh, yeah. And, and you know, I, I thought you might reach back to Aristotle or something, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you pulled out the great, the late great Stan Lee to, <laughs> yeah. to really put yeah. the punctuation Ex Exactly. On. Yes. I think those are, our lessons are more digestible when coming out <laughs> pictorial form. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to come up with something interesting to say, but I have to confess, I'm finding it hard to get beyond uh, as a tribal Italian, Jeff's comment that the Greek blood with Tommy is a good thing. Yeah, with some oh, yeah. better Right. Yeah, I, that didn't escape my no. notice. Okay. Yeah. 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 No. 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 I didn't say. Well, I didn't say it was a better thing. You said wow. it was a wow. good thing. It's, okay. <laughs> I'll re-examine it. I'll re-examine it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to a, uh, a lighter, hopefully, topic. <laughs> Which is, well, actually, did you want to riff a little bit more, Paul? You had some observations, I know, a, on just kind of... A quick uh, thing on yeah. looking ahead in tech, because cyber warfare yeah. only needs quick attention. Uh, but let's how, cross over. You know, how, you way. know, we all go, oh, 500 million contacts from Marriott stolen. Is that what it was? 5 million, 50 million, who knows? Just released this morning, that oh oops, we didn't have them encrypted. Did you guys mm -hmm. see that? Okay. Right. So, you know, one major thing after another, Atlanta, you know, administrative system taken over. You know, how do we all not know that 
very soon something like the takeover of a utility system, takeover of a transportation system, or God forbid, the takeover of a weapon system is going to happen sometime in the near future and there's going to be something horrible that happens as a result. <laughs> how can we not, you know, just say something about the elephant in the room with, yeah. with respect to cyber warfare? Well, this coming from the guy who was consistently the best predictor of sports outcomes over the past, <laughs> of, the past year, so I'm a little bit worried now yeah, that he's so, going to get it Jeff, right. can you give me some hope about this? Can you give me some techno-utopian, you know, lollipop that I, so I can't be afraid? Possibly. I mean, I I think that the interesting thing is that we live, (laughs) I guess this is going to get even darker and crazier, is is that we live in a very difficult, you know, in a, from a a, a, a religious perspective, oftentimes a fallen world, a world where, mm. you know, one of the things that I brought back from Italy when I visited Italy for the first time is just how we can't keep nice things. You know, we don't, everything's all busted up. We can't keep, you know, the, the, some of the greatest sculpture that we think is the greatest sculpture that's ever existed, we have like copies of it because we didn't find it important enough to keep this maybe most mm-hmm. important artifact in the history of our civilization intact. It's either broken or buried or it's in some, you know, it's in one of Napoleon's vaults or some the Vatican vault or something like that, right? And and so, but but tech is just an extension of that. It's like we've never had privacy. We've never been able to keep our stuff. People are always trying to steal it. We're always building walls. Um, it, we've always had to build walls all throughout human history. And you think that this is, tech is going to, we're not going to be that. But now the walls are just virtual walls and this and that. I, I'm not sure that it's bad. I just think that it would be interesting because I'm not sure it's going to transform anything. Um, we are the same people that we were before. The threats are the same people stealing stuff before. You know, it's like China landed on the moon. And, and one of the reasons they landed on the moon is that they stole unbelievable amounts of information and tech from the Russians and from us. The only reason they're on the moon is because they essentially turned it into an open source project <laughs> by stealing everyone's stuff. By the way, the entire Chinese economy is driven that way. They're, they're, you can't establish companies without them saying, we get to steal every bit of your stuff. It's not stealing because you have to give it to us. Otherwise, you don't come here. So I guess my idea is it would be interesting to see if it's, if, if it's a time where we start to come to the idea that tech isn't something different thing. We don't think of walls and homes and the stuff we have around us as as foreign in any way, but there's a foreignness to tech, right? There's a differentness to tech. And I wonder if it becomes mainstream in some way where it becomes a part of our humanness and everydayness. I'm hoping that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that's something that's a positive. Um, and so that's as good as it gets. <laughs> I think that gives reason for hope. I think that's good. What do you think, Paul? You well, I just, you know, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll, with, with the, the day when all the traffic lights turn green at the same time. <laughs> I just hope I'm not on the road. No, no, right. Right. Well, we'll check that and with this one, let's. Uh, I'd love to get your guys' thoughts on just sort of uh, pop culture. You know, I'm sure you've see, you, you've read books, or see movies, uh, some deeper than others, some entertainment based. But uh, you know, we're all into it. Tell me, Jeff, what's uh, one of the things that resonated most with you this past year? I'm going to uh, I'm going to um, start with a few of the things that really hit me, and then and then hit you with Orson Welles because. Yeah. Huge Orson Welles fan. I always have been. I've listened to uh, almost all of his radio stuff. I mean, I love Welles. I'm a big Welles fan. And uh, and so I want to finish with that. But let me talk about a few things that I saw, just real quick. 
And that is, um, so I, one of my very favorite movies, and I know it's become a little bit trite and this and that, but is um, uh, Lady Gaga in A Star is Born is, it, it, it is really special. She is luminescent. Um, she does, does a fun La Vie and Rose in the beginning of the movie that I think is going to be one of those things. You know, what do you show? You show Dietrich singing something when you're talking about films from the 20s or 30s or this and that. And it, it might be that kind mm-hmm. of a performance. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. But um, I really enjoyed it and, uh, and, and wept like a baby. <laughs> it is not... Uh, it's not. Well, I've never seen any other stars born. So yeah. They're all yeah. such a downer. I thought it was this happy thing, and eh, there's a bummer, but there's a there's a happy ending. There's not. That's a spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Um, and then, uh, and it's actually a little bit old. But some some of my year end reviews dip into previous years because yeah. I don't necessarily sure. So I, this year was the the year uh, for me for the subtle art of not giving an fuck, mm-hmm. which. I really enjoyed, and I thought that was personally liberating. Origins, um, which is kind of in the cast of Thinking Fast and Slow by mm-hmm. Daniel Kahneman. Sure. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. And then also The Power of Habit. I was obviously trying to do some work on uh, on my own <laughs> anxiety and productivity and all that kind of stuff. But one thing that I loved this year that I was certain I was not going to love because of a documentary on Netflix was Orson Welles was making a film or something, he was doing something <laughs> right. at the end of his life. And it was called The Other Side of the Wind. And so there's a documentary by Netflix put together really by Bogdanovich, who was a, ment- a mentee and then a, um, and, and just a lover of Wells and has become a little bit of a, I don't know, what is it, a curator or a, he was trying to Keeper help. Keeper of the flame. Indeed, sort of, indeed. Yeah, and so he takes this this last film and the documentary is just this hodgepodge and it's going everywhere and and there are times where Wells is like talking to people and they'll give him an idea and he's like yeah well maybe that's what the film's about and like well Orson are you not do you not know what the film's about yeah. so it's it's the most meta thing ever which would not have been a big deal except this is like you know this is 74 I yes. think 75 yes. yeah. and and so here's and Netflix which continues to a little bit of a tech worry and that sort of thing about how it controls your life. I'm watching the documentary and immediately, in the nanoseconds, my neurons are firing and they're like, I don't know if I'm going to see The Other Side of the Wind. Because Bogdanovich and Netflix <laughs> finally finished that film, or as finish it as much as you can possibly finish yeah. it. And um, and Netflix started it immediately. Mm-hmm. Didn't even, I didn't even have a choice. It was like the yes, movie starts yes, playing yes, immediately. That's right. I'm not sure I would have ever watched it, so I feel super tricked. <laughs> yes. But I could not stop watching it. And and uh, and I started a, what is a, a habit of mine that I'm a little bit embarrassed about is that if there's a film I want to cruise through, I will start hitting 10 seconds and just seeing how much mm-hmm. I can capture. Because <laughs> the film is a documentary mm-hmm. yeah. being made of a film being made. Um, and the film's kind of an art film, and you don't know if John Huston is Orson Welles, yes. but it, we're pretty sure Peter Bogdanovich is Peter Bogdanovich. It just right, gets so right. loony. Yes. It's self-referential. Yes. And, and, and here's the deal, is that you watch the documentary, which I understand you've done. I great, have, I and have. And you were like, that movie's got to be a cluster. It's got to be a complete mess. And I got done with it at the end of it, and I'm I'm not sure that it's just, it might be an incredibly important work of art. Right. It, and, and it's coherent. It hangs together. It's exhausting. Yeah. I wonder if it's like a Fantasia or 
SpongeBob SquarePants? Are we supposed to watch it high? <laughs> I mean, it is awesome. fast, yes. super fast cut, yeah. and and every self-referential Hollywood thing in the history of the world, and then a lot of inside jokes that are either from you know deepest darkest pit of Orson Welles' brain right, and, right. and Houston's brain. So, what was your take on it? Well, my take was uh, I I did watch the documentary. I love the documentary. They'll love me when I'm dead is the name of the documentary. I was also hooked into the beginning of the uh, film, which I would have actually watched if I'd had more time, and I do plan to get into it. But the reason I thought the documentary was brilliant was that in some ways it extended Wells's brilliance, because in, in many ways, and this is actually referred to in the documentary, where, where Wells himself observed that the the thing that might the thing that he was in fact working towards, which in some ways he didn't really know because he was fumbling over many years putting together this thing, going left, going right. He had a vision, but it never really cohered by the time he died. But he made this observation that the end product of this whole enterprise may in fact be the documentary because he knew the activities were being filmed. Absolutely. He didn't know it would be pulled together into a documentary about the filming of the film that had inside it the filming of a film. <laughs> you know, he didn't necessarily go that far, but on some level he did recognize that the, 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 the putative documentary that would have been made about the whole thing may in fact be the enduring artifact. And, the, and I believe that is in fact the case, that when you watch this, the levels of meta that are buried there mm -hmm. now come come to their full fruition. And I think what you touched on is like the meta stuff that was, I think Wells was just ahead of his time, right? He was just ahead of his time in these, you know, is John Houston playing an Orson Welles character? Yes and no. Is, it, is he a John Houston character? He's an Orson Welles character. Wells is directing him. Bogdanovich, who takes, who is the mentee to Orson Welles in real life, is the mentee to, to, the, to the John Houston character within the movie, but playing himself, sort of, kind of. And so now, you know, we have now moved to a point where that level of meta is actually not that unusual, right? right. The, the, uh, the audience can process those sorts of self-commentaries actually pretty well, right? An educated audience can. The other thing, so in some ways now, just that on its face is dated, but he was trying to work with that at a, at a time when nobody else was. The other thing, and the things he was a lot of riffing on sort of the, the, the uh, French New Wave and art films and commenting on art films and stuff, and now I think it's quite easy to parody an art film, right? So the thing is, all of those things were things that he was working with and struggling with and now to see that in a documentary form with reflects upon all that was just an incredibly enjoyable experience and to me I go back into where did it start? It started inside the mind of Orson Welles. Yeah. And on some level, I believed he saw all this coming through right. the future and saw us future audience members seeing and appreciating all of this stuff that was going on. Right, right. So it was pure, it's pure brilliance. And, and the thing that makes my heart the happiest, and it's just lunacy coming out of my mouth, <laughs> but it's like studying a lifetime of Leonardo da Vinci, who did so much great stuff, but also didn't do a lot about functional stuff. Stuff. Art, brilliant, you know, yeah, but, yeah. but to have someone who looks into the future and they're either not insane or they can make it functionally happen is a genius. You know, it's, but there's a thin line between a Kurzweil who is able to do so much and see so much and, and then people who are just uh, lunatic visionaries and mm -hmm. for Wells to make it real, to see all that. And mm -hmm. the interesting thing is that I'm not even, I'm th I think he was so far ahead of himself that I'm not even sure if you were to ask him. 
were you intending to do all of this? He would say, I- I'm not sure. I was, I'm mm-hmm. intentional as an artist mm-hmm. and these things happen under my watch. So I get credit, mm-hmm. but I just don't even know if he, if he knew it was, I mean, is it a parody? Is it a satire? Right. Right. And, and is it a parody of right. him? Right. Or is it a parody of him parrot, you know, making a parody of Hollywood? Right. So I know that this sound, I hope people do try it a little bit because mm-hmm. I felt at the end of it, I mean, I was I was embarrassed for Wells throughout most of the film mm-hmm. right. because he becomes a little bit of a joke. He's giant, mm-hmm. he's poor, he's he's uh, begging for money, mm-hmm. you know, he just can never finish anything, he's become a joke. Citizen Kane becomes a millstone around his mm-hmm. neck for his entire career. Right. But did he not just, it, it, he finished strong. Right, he right. Didn't, it wasn't a whimper, it was a bang right. and maybe a bang that we won't fully understand right. uh, for a while right very interesting well yes we'll see how that ages that, that'll be interesting to see and it is interesting to see how uh, in film uh, you know, there there are creators that try to anticipate the future in different ways. I think in, in this case, Wells sort of did it in a way that he did, maybe didn't even realize he was doing. But, <laughs> but others, I mean, particularly nowadays, get into um, just a, a lot of dire sort of predictions and uh, about sort of a very apocalyptic. Type. It, it's one thing interesting to me. I know it is to you as well, Paul, to think about how you know the reflections of these kind of uh, apocalyptic visions and the end of the world inside movies and. and the like. What, uh, well, I think this this climate um, crisis, if you will, that, mm. that we're experiencing yeah. is starting to percolate even more deeply into the into the, the right. consciousness and into the subconscious, which is now coming out in movies. We had uh, natural disaster movies back in the 70s. You guys remember Earthquake, okay, mm-hmm. Poseidon Adventure, sure. Tidal Wave, we've got Towering Inferno, it's a fire, we've got these, th- these things. Then we get, as we get into the later 70s and, and 80s, we have a science fiction element kind of interjected into it when as Star Wars and Close Encounters kind of come in and now we have Alien with far 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 space not necessarily disaster movie in that way but something more like Andromeda Strain mm-hmm. we've got medical gone bad or we've got the thing which is some kind of biological you know uh, freak out alien sourced <laughs> thing coming out of coming out of a swamp come out of Antarctica, Antarctica. oh Antarctica yeah, okay. out of the ice there and now I, I think the, 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 the this incredibly looming climate crisis <laughs> of what the heck we've got the day after tomorrow we've got uh, Armageddon which is, which is from a while ago you know these these types of things, mm-hmm. but but we're also getting into these really strange kind of movies like Annihilation, mm-hmm. where we're understanding how biology is going to change and how the Earth as an organism is going to change in weird ways <laughs> that may create new life forms or may completely fail to support human life, such as mm-hmm. The Road, which is an incredibly bleak movie, you know, Corm- Cormac McCarthy. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to go further in that direction. <laughs> we're going to go further in pop entertainment in in looking at what the human agency around that is. And Black Panther, which is one of my favorite movies of the year, you know, it's about this incredible, well, one of the, the MacGuffins, if you will, is this empowering element, right, that mm-hmm. Wakanda is able to turn into this <laughs> magical metal that can can reshape itself and has all these all these properties to it. And it's kind of predicated on the bad guys being the ones who are trying to exploit that, that element and go and get these blood diamonds, if you will, mm-hmm. from that African country. Mm-hmm. So that whole drama 
around how we treat the earth and how we use it for good versus how we use it for evil. Um, and then how it has a backlash against us because the darn thing is alive, um, I think is, is going to be, you know, major <laughs> going forward. Well, t- tying together a couple of those sort of how it's been done in the past with some of those sci-fi movies in the future, I recently um, saw, I, coincidentally, I didn't really plan this, but I got to watching the original uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still mm-hmm. with Klaatu. Great one. Coming, yes. And I, I saw the most of the modern remake, which be- disappeared with without a, uh, a whimper um, when it came out a few years ago, Keanu Reeves in the Klaatu role, Jennifer Colony, Connolly, great actress, um, as sort of the main human connection that he makes. And I so wish that the modern remake had been done better because it wasn't particularly well done, but it's exactly that, that same sort of, you know, we are killing the world ourselves. That was the message even back then in the 50s, I think originally came out, if not early 60s. Um, but with, not so much with the climate change, right? Just that, you know, we're killing ourselves with warfare and whatnot. Um, and then in the modern thing, it was kind of more this, you know, hey, we're just kind of like trashing this place. Um, and Klaatu, was here to basically mm-hmm. save the earth, right? Mm-hmm. By eliminating all the humans. Yeah, right? that is, was is, his mission. Is, is there a <laughs> been there done that quality to the whole climate crisis? Do you think, Jeff? And and it's it's not going to land for the, the imagination. Well, I, I, first of all, I think that the biggest difficulty is is that is that you know I mean when you look at history, climate change is something that is is a historical fact, and it's and it's it does not have to be anthro. From you know, human cause it doesn't, um, <clears throat> but it might be, and 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 even if we're in the in the in some kind of change that um, would have happened on its own, it, are we exacerbating? Are we mm-hmm. slingshotting that to something that's going to be disastrous? Because in the past there have been really really big swings, and it wasn't the end of uh, the world, and there have been climate changes that ha- were the end mm-hmm. of our of <coughs> that world, whatever that was, right? And so um, I, I think that. Um, that the Earth is has a, a remarkable resiliency to it, um, and uh, and I'm very hopeful. Uh, I'm not as apocalyptic as everybody else. I think that part of this is is all self correcting. I mean, um, in, in in a very very Malthusian way, uh, that, you know, <laughs> and, 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 yeah. potentially. And you know, I or really I want to win. Right, I resist the human beings need to be killed sort of thing. This Planet of the Apes <laughs> sort of bullshit that I really hate. It really makes me crazy. But I get it. I really do. I mean, it's the, the fact of the matter is is that can we be a vector of harm? Yes. Can we be a vector of change and good? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and have we been and can we be? I really am hopeful for those sorts of things. So I hope it's not, you know, a, 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 a disvirtuous cycle that is that we're trapped in some death spiral or that sort of thing, which and I don't think we are. But I do understand the concern and, and that sort of thing. And I do think we'll get more and more of that. I mean, you mentioned a bunch of things that were <clears throat> you were tying it into sort of climate related stuff but interestingly a lot of your, your the things you were talking about were very uh, businessy and artificial intelligency as well there's a little bit of that strain and certainly sure. the alien stuff and, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing um, and and so I, I are these things, technology has always been, science has always been, um, military progress has always been a double-edged sword because, you you know, people are like, we need to invent, you know, cheap power. There's nothing that would be lead to the, the, the development of dangerous things and weapons in the history of the world than super, super cheap power that you can use to do all sorts of malicious, crazy things. Uh, one of my, I, I remember some crazy science fiction story where the, the, the aliens, all they did is dump a bunch of stuff in the bottom of our ocean 
assumptions that heated the oceans like a few degrees and then it killed everybody. <laughs> and, and that was the way to kill us, you know, because it would. If, if you were to heat all of the world's oceans to a certain degree, it would disrupt things so badly that we'd probably go away. Um, and so, uh, and, and now we might have yeah, our own happening. machines that we can do that. <laughs> or, but, you know, there's always going to be that. It, we, as smart human beings, unless there is some corrective uh, dark ages that would be unprecedented in some way, we're always going to have to face these problems mm-hmm. where someone's going to invent a, a, a drop of poison that you, if you put it in water would uh, you know, kill a, a, a city because they drank it um, or this and that. We are going to have those things. A, a parlor game I used to play, a party game I used to play with people is like, okay, you're, you're at this time and we would establish a time, maybe a medieval times and everything. And your, your job is, is you have to kill as many people as you can in one day. <laughs> How could you possibly do it? It's been really hard throughout most of human history yeah. to kill lots of people. Yeah. You know, you grab a sword and you run through the, the market day, May Day, you know, everybody's celebrating. You hack maybe 10 people, but you know, everybody else has swords too, and and they wind up killing you. It just, now, the scale and scope yes, of the damage right. that very few people can do yes. is the thing that we don't have an ethical construct, mm-hmm. we don't have a moral construct around mm-hmm. it to be able to, you know, I have no doubt that those Chinese um, cloning mm-hmm. experiments have happened, uh, that, mm-hmm. that were reported. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that is something that's going to be <clears throat> Uh, we're just maybe a little, we're so smart, but we're not very wise mm-hmm. in a way that I'm worried about. Yeah. But um, we'll see. Hopefully, yes. hopefully positive stuff right. and funnier stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always that. You so, said apocalypse. Yeah, so. yeah. Come on. You said it. I'm probably going to use your words. Oh, by, by the way, so let me reconcile it with this. Right. Every At the end of every year, my wife and I watch uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, which right. is just such a funny. Mm-hmm. Have you not seen that? I Steve think, Carroll and Kira Knightley. Yes, I. I I did see every yes, yes. every New Year's Eve. Yeah. We, we try to watch mm-hmm. that, and it yeah. is it is. I, I, you guys will probably hate it. I, I absolutely no, I, I loved it. Liking it. it was a few but years ago. So. I love those sorts of things that can take the apocalypse yes. and flip it in maybe a lovely, interesting way. Very nice. <laughs> Find more of that for next good, year's podcast. Good. Well, let's talk about um, some like society, kind of some social uh, trends, society mm-hmm. in general. Paul, do you have any? Uh, Observations. Why do you think I'd have some observations? <laughs> observations about everything. I think looking back, a, um, a big thing, which everybody knows about, but I think is just going to peak a little bit more in the public consciousness, is just an acceptance of gender fluidity and the breakdown of the, of the sexual binary. Right. Um, you know, kind of started peaking with uh, transsexual, that Amazon series, is that, is that the right? No. Is it trans- transparent. Uh, transparent. 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 Sorry about that. I didn't like transparent. I, I thought it was really poorly done. Um, but that um, has led the way, I think. But the theme for, is for important. More. The theme is important, and the consciousness around it, the discussion around it is important. Two, two things that I think stood out for me in that regard is uh, Hannah Gadsby's um, Nanette, which is an amazing... S- deconstructed stand-up routine that she does at the Sydney Opera House. Not sure when it was filmed, sometime in this, this past year. It's on It's on Netflix, I think. It's extraordinary. I think you check that out. And RuPaul's Drag Race, I don't know if you guys have seen. Have okay, seen. I know you have not seen. I've seen pieces of that. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it. Reality, it's very entertaining. Reality show, which is very entertaining, which has these drag queens, you know, competing in in performance, in, in fashion, in cleverness, in snark, in all of these things. <laughs> and the, the, the okay, I, I'll just say, like, if we can get beyond men are from Mars and women are from Venus, we can get beyond any binaries, we can get beyond anything, because it's such a core thing. Wow. And uh, I think we're on our way. Wow. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. 
So one of the things, um, and and we have our little pregame sometimes where we talk a tiny <laughs> bit about this. And I had a in, in March of last year, I was just a, I was you know so desperate um, to uh, that I made a kind of a secret podcast. Uh, that where I played your roles uh, and all of that uh, sort yes. of thing, <laughs> and wrote out all the subject matter and the back and forth. Um, and and one of the things that uh, we were we, that I was talking about is how how I had watched a um, documentary on George Michael, who was um, homosexual and just not able to come out because of his career. That was at least. The wisdom of the people that were around him is that he could not come out. He's this famously very handsome. Women find him incredibly attractive. He does not find women incredibly attractive. <laughs> and that 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 was not something people wanted to explore. And so I've always been a little bit intrigued by, and it was Christmas and holidays the last month and everything. So I was really intrigued by the those dynamics of a man trapped in a world that would not let him come out as what he wanted to do and wanted mm-hmm. to be and, and the, but it was through the lens of last christmas which is uh, a, a christmas song it's yes, become incredibly right. sure. uh, and so yeah. i love the beginning and the end of that documentary mm-hmm. oh, it's very powerful it's sad in very many ways and then um and I wanted to talk a little bit about that Christmas staple, which we I never thought these words would be. George Michael's 86, 1986, apocalyptically titled <laughs> Last Christmas. Uh, and so uh, Mr. Michael gives his heart away, um, only to have it uh, given away by his hopefully holiday husband the very next day. And what in the North Pole is going on in that song? <laughs> Note that um, his heart was not given back or thrown callously away and trampled on by this special person, but literally just given away. Was this callous but attractively uh, individual able to get a 501c3 deduction by giving it away? And uh, uh, the, the, uh, the new, uh, new best practice of only now giving away your heart to someone special that's wise holiday advice to all of us, uh, indeed. Mm-hmm. And the weirdly uh, straight-washed video, <laughs> where in his and it's a, his official coming out in 1988. 1988 is when he comes out. Is anybody listening? Is anybody paying attention to this song? Because we were talking about it. That has got to be the toughest meeting in the world. It's like you are the biggest star in the world. You are going to be Sinatra-like in in American culture. And he's like, I really need to come out as gay. <laughs> Like you can't possibly do it. It'll wreck your career. It'll be it'll be over. And and so he has to <laughs> essentially come out secretively, yes. but in a powerful way that no one can ever take back. So in this <laughs> song, he releases a song where he plaintively sp- uh, sings that his uh, non-special someone is a face on a lover with a heart a, a fire in his heart. His heart. Wait a minute. A man <laughs> undercover, but you tore me apart. He came out to us in 1988, <laughs> and and I wanted to riff a tiny bit on your gender fluidity mm-hmm. and these types of things. Is that it's it's kind of heartbreaking because in a lot of ways that did kill him. Maybe not literally, but maybe literally, mm-hmm. and certainly in so many ways throughout his entire life that wow. he was not able to do that. And that I've never spoken with someone who knows that about the lyrics of that song. Now maybe I'm missing something. And I didn't know. Is it possible that the the references to he and him could have been uh, were ambig- ambiguous enough that they could have been interpreted as him talking about himself as the male and lover I buy of that. a... You, I it, buy that, yeah. but the in- more interesting question to me is that are we so culturally defined <laughs> by this, including myself, I come from a background that's very difficult, 
uh, is very fraught uh, regarding homosexuality. So I'm not lecturing to anyone. I'm not telling anyone. But it's fascinating to me as someone who cares about this sort of thing and, and is very interested. And and I have a daughter that is that has come out. And so the fact of the matter is is that how would if this is if my take on this is correct. How do we not know this? How how has this been been a secret? Right, you know, it's it's it would be as if um, any of the great songs that we've ever heard, the love ballads of all time, were very expressly sung to a homosexual partner, and we never we were like not listening. You know, Judy Garland can't hear it. Bing Crosby won't listen to it. Um, and and so it uh, I it would be fun if there were people actually writing in to say you completely missed it. it he was. He left it open because mm. I think that he literally, desperately tried to come out, and, and, the, and the world went, right? "We're not listening. Yeah. You're not coming out. We're not <laughs> right. letting it happen." Right. It is as much a reflection on how it was taken as on what he intended. Because so. clearly so. he did. We know what he intended. Now, yes. like quite clear what he intended. Yes. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. Well, let's um, wrap up. Or, oh, we've got a couple of uh, topics left. Uh, let's talk a little bit about politics. We try to avoid it. Oh, that's great. Part. That'll be funny. What? Yeah. Politics. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just re- real quick um, talk about some themes. I mean, for for me, one thing that's been uh, just very clearly a, a political theme in the last year is sort of the 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 attractiveness with which you know seeming or actual autocrats <laughs> have been deemed you know they've come to power um, it, you know the Putin you know Duterte model Putin in Russia Duterte in the Philippines um, you know Trump in some ways can be thought of as this strong central autocratic you know he models himself in some ways after those strong leaders and is there, there seems to be a wave of that and uh, I guess when I look I, I'm interested you know to of what goes forward? Do, do the tables turn, and what are the, what's the character of, of those sort of guys who are coming up with this sort of populist uh, veneer to them? What, what do you think, Paul? I, I think there is a shift back. I think there, in, in a lot of cases, we've got a whole identity politics. Uh, rhythm going on where the the identity politics forever larger social units get mobilized in the service of prior identity politics so it goes from family to tribe speaking of which earlier to village to city state to nation to empire and at each stage you have different groups uh, establishing their own interests and and identity politics if you will and then and then a competing one uh, looks for their their interests being served and their identities being recognized and then there's competition, and then they go in higher and higher units, and maybe there's like a a, a more global identity politics that comes to the fore and and starts to shift things around. So I do think that in the nature of the cyclical advancement of evolution, of physical evolution, of social evolution, of civilization, that there's going to be a backlash to the movements that we have going on in society politics. And and I, I'd like to, to coin the word, it's a blow lash. A blow lash? It's a blow lash. It's a combination of a backlash and a blowback. Oh, to these movements. So I want to call it a blow lash. And, there, and I have to go with blow lash because if I go with the other parts of the words, it's a backback. <laughs> and I didn't want to use back. I think blow lash is a lot. Better. I think yeah. that that yeah. one has a lot more legs on it. Yeah, I think. yeah. yeah. I, I, that's all I got. So you know, I, I think that um, th- I think that all of politics cycles between that sort of thing and, and ultimately nationalism and that kind of interest. I think is a call to very much local 
interests and you talk about all politics being local in this and that. So there's not, I don't think there's an inherent badness to it, but like anything, if it's out of balance, it's a nightmare. And, and it really, you, you can only have what we've had in the last 50, a hundred years of where we've, we've gone away from. So, you know, throughout a lot of human history, democracy was a, was a bad word. It was, you know, essentially mob rule. It was something that a lot of people were very fearful of, which is why we've always liked things that were more republic uh, oriented, where you essentially had representatives and that sort of thing. It wasn't mob rule. You didn't just get your identity group big enough where they can, you know, smash through a certain legislation or impeach the, the person that you don't like, whether whoever side that is. And those modern, I think those are dangerous sorts of situations. And yet, I really feel like it's probably there's a, we've had this unparalleled, uh, uh, for a long time we've had some really strong economic world conditions. And that is beginning to change in the world. And, and it is going to change. No one repealed the business cycle. I think that that sort of thing is going to happen. And then I think when you start, when you have all the money in the world, or you think you do, it's very easy to have largesse of worrying about other people who are not a part of your tribe. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm very anti-tribal, all of this stuff, identity politics. I think it's that goes to the most basic, ugliest parts of human nature. I hate it so much, which is one of the interesting things about, you know, finding groups of people who are like shattered because they're not as Italian as they were and everything. And, and, and I've, I've not, it's easy, it's easy to say that when you're such a mutt <laughs> because I'm like, Hey, who cares? <laughs> I got more Norwegian in me than I thought. <laughs> but, um, the, the, the idea that I'm, I'm hopeful I, I, and maybe it's because I'm such a Pollyanna in some ways. And I don't like using it as a pejorative because that's actually a lovely book and a lovely movie. But the idea of, 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 of seeing things in a positive way and being very intentional about that and saying, I'm going to be an agent of optimism and those sorts of things. So it's Duarte. All of these people are, are, are troubling. I really, and, and the movements are troubling, but I do think it's the sort of thing that we will actually see uh, begin if it's a wildfire or if it's an ep epidemic or a pandemic or whatever, it will, I think it will start to tamp down a little bit because I think people do realize, Hey, we've got to take care of ourselves because you do have to take care of yourself. But then when that becomes selfish and when it becomes inwardly focused too much and when you become navel gazing instead of stargazing and that sort of thing, people do. I think people do have the idea that we want to be open in our trade and we want to be freer in our markets and we want to take care of other people and ourselves. You know, I think that the, the interesting thing about the recent France uh, movements is that there are just a lot of times where they're like, hey, we really do want to take care of outsiders and migrants and mm -hmm. folks and that sort of thing, but we also really need to be taken care of too. Mm -hmm. And so don't slide us um, in, 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 in trying to do something noble and wonderful for someone else. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong, in my opinion, about that instinct. But out of balance, it's a disaster. So will we find that corrective balance? And mm -hmm. it's scary. I think that it's easy to say no. But I actually think that there is this, especially because the, the economies have not crashed. And I don't think are going to crash. I think we are going to have corrections. I think we are coming in some difficult economic times. But overall, I'm optimistic. I think people are going to continue to love for you know love their neighbor and take care of the foreigner and the orphan and the widow. And I hope that that is a that's a, a vector that we're headed towards more than this uh, dangerous maybe um, me versus 
them, you know, me, us I, versus them. I, I agree too. And whether we can put call it a, a blow lash when it happens, <laughs> I, if it if it happens quicker, you probably call it a blow lash. And if it happens uh, more evolutionarily, you know, gradually over time, it's more of a evolution and a change. But a, a backpack. Directly, it's a ba- is that, then it's a backpack. No, wait a minute. Exactly right. Hey, okay. Final topic. I want to get your guys. Um, uh, insights on uh, faith and spirituality, and of course, that is a topic that we can spend another two and a half hours talking on. If How exciting to. for us! Let's do it in two so, and a half so, minutes. So, so I want to limit it to aspects of faith and spirituality that may be represented in uh, aliens, uh, UFOs, strange science, yes. stuff like that. Yes. I want the crazy. I right, bring me, give, give me a little bit of the nutty crazy. I Jeff, love it. Yeah, can you do that, Jeff? Can you start it off? Oh, okay. Oh, so, well, so here's the deal: is that I've been uh, I've been percolating this crazy for a long time. Yes, you have. Um, some of this started with uh, my super secret ninja <clears throat> podcast because I was uh, it, months ago. Um, but it's actually something I want to focus on a little bit about next year, and, and I know that Paul is going to talk be talking about. Science and, and where it's going, and we're going to be talking a little because bit about I know. aliens. <laughs> All right, that's right. And so I was so desperate for the Augustinelli brothers. And you know, sure, uh, the Augustinelli brothers are, are busy being high tech titans or not. Uh, they have lives and loves um, in projects, uh, Buddhist retreats to run. Uh, while you know, I, I'm you know, I just I'm just longing for Augustinelli brother magic. And one of the subjects I wanted to talk about at the time that I still need to talk about, fun slash terrifying, is an object that was approaching the Earth, passed by us, by the way. Ray, you didn't even know. I, I was uh, <laughs> distracted that he day. Blinked. Many scientists say that it could not be a natural object. Are you hearing me? It had to be artificial because of its shape. It was so regular. Um, and then uh, Time Magazine recently quoted... Uh, folks is saying that uh, it could have been a space probe. And so it's a, I think it's Hawaiian and it's, it's, it's like ooh, mua mua, a cigar shaped hunk of space rock or busted alien spaceship. <laughs> and, and I wanted to talk a tiny bit about things that I think we're going to be spending a little time about. And that are, are things like um, uh, uh, Fermi paradox and, um, and von Neumann probes and this sort of thing. The idea that we almost have to have alien life in the universe. Mm. And if alien life in the universe has been here as long as we think alien life had would have had to have been out there based on the age of the universe, then there are others out there and have been out there for maybe hundreds of millions of years. And at that point in time, people would have, you said, the best way to explore the universe is not by some giant creature, uh, Prometheus-style flying uh, through the universe, but it's it's actually von Neumann probes, self-replicate, self-replicating aircraft, uh, spacecraft, stuff that's out there making itself and sending information back and on and on and on. And so um, Abraham Loeb and Smail Bialy, and I'm, I'm sure he's really happy with the way I pronounced his name, of the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics acknowledged an unlikely but possible origin of that object, and, and they published a journal that said, hey, it's it's from the Astrophysical Journal Letters, and I just get that for the swimsuit edition, but the um, most folks read that for the astrophysics of it, um, and they said that this thing had to have been a probe, and we are going to have to start really, I think, preparing, and, and when you look at Musk talking about it, and also talking about the realities of whether or not there's been this fascinating philosophical slash science 
idea of that we're in a simulation of some mm-hmm. kind. And so all of these things, we're going to have to get our head around. Remember I was telling you about how we don't have metaphors for tech that integrate into our lives to make it a part of our lives. It's a different thing. Mm-hmm. It's a separate thing. Mm-hmm. And I believe we're, we're, there's a convergence of that starting to happen where there will be no discernment between the modern magic of tech and our normal lives. Mm-hmm. And I think a part of that is going to be this sort of uh, simulation worlds, high tech, um, and this sort of thing. And, the, and one of the last things I wanted to get you to. So, so when I went through all of this, um, and you know, von Neumann talking about he's got berserker type stuff and terraforming cedar sorts of things that are really fascinating to look into is what these things mm-hmm. would do. What would you send out ships to do? Mm-hmm. And some of them would be terraforming and seeding yeah. and doing things that would hopefully be helpful to you. And 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 the Fermi paradox is the contradiction between the lack of evidence and yet a high probability mm-hmm. estimates for mm-hmm. the existence of extraterrestrial civilization. Mm-hmm. So at the time I wrote that Paul would uh, wax slash bloviate philosophically about the nature mm-hmm. of looking outward instead of inward and take mm-hmm. us on a mental Vespa tour of Greco-Roman thought on the same and finish with this haiku. <laughs> Oamuamua, we long to know what you know and thus know ourselves blank stares result and scene and, and then wow. uh, and then just the last bit is that um, I thought that Patrick Melrose had better time travel in it than Westworld. <laughs> <laughs> it will have to be another episode because <laughs> Westworld, I was completely lost in this, and yeah. yet, and, that, and yet, um, who is it? C- Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch, yeah, yeah. Brilliant in Patrick Melrose. Uh-huh. It wasn't really time travel in Westworld, wasn't it? More like intercutting of the narrative. Story? I think that that's in both of them, but it's yeah. the only way I could work in time travel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How am I going to follow that? <laughs> <laughs> well, you had some thought about weird I, science and I strange do, science. You know, I do. I resonate with your belief that there's something coming in the way of science that also verges into what we call faith and spirituality. And there's mm. something that is a convergence is the word that you use. And I think that's what's coming ahead. It's cliche to say that now we, have, we're, we live in an age of crumbling institutions. You look back at the Catholic Church and what's going on with that. And that's a disaster. And every other institution in the world, you know, kind of kind of falling apart. But you can't just replace an institution with an institution. You can't just p- replace a religion with a religion. You can't just come and say, here you go, boom. You know, we tried that in the 60s. <laughs> and they tried it in, in, in millenarian and utopian movements across uh, across the centuries, right? right? It's like, here, we'll create a new one. It doesn't happen. To create new institutions, you have to have a new ennobling vision. You have to have a new belief system, a truly heart-based belief system. You have to have a new religion in the deepest sense of the word. And we're where does that come from these days when we're very materialistic, when we are mostly outward seeking and not inward seeking? Where is it going to come from? And it may very well come from something out there that comes in that is deeply strange, that is mm-hmm. actually an alien visitation. The odds are they are out there. I did read about that cigar put out there, and there's more and more information coming about out about the government information around alien, you know, Area 51 and all that so-called conspiracy stuff, which they're is a lot of a lot of 
strong evidence there seems that there's, to be some there there some some there there exactly so i'm saying maybe maybe you know fingertip oh. in the wind science does something strange in the coming years like in the near term here esp is confirmed time travel actually happens we start to prove some of the you know the the bell's theorems that that are out there that talk about non-locality and those start to become actually more instrumentable and a real part of our lives spooky and so, action at a distance spooky action at a distance it, it, exactly and those I, we're talking about rebranding the podcast that might be it <laughs> oh, I think you're right <laughs> that's beautiful yeah so uh, interesting times ahead <laughs> So, hey, listen, I've got some closing thoughts. Is that okay? Please. Did you have something Let's, you wanted to do? Indeed. Um, so, uh, you know, at the end of my um, at my uh, pod, my, my fantasy podcast with the two of you that you weren't there, that I was writing all your parts, uh, Paul would uncannily and disturbingly correctly predict who won the college football playoff. Do you have a quick... Uh, prediction between uh, for, Alabama for the final, and Clemson. I'm, I'm going to go with Clemson. And so yeah. that's who wins, and we might as well not <laughs> do the other one. Uh, and then I had us finishing the show with a rum chata shot, so that was nice. So it was kind of a, so <laughs> didn't, I didn't have that. Uh, so a couple of thoughts real quick. Um, what kind of profoundly screwed-up cynical monster uh, put together uh, grocery stores, uh, particularly um, putting the the – Candy. All of the candy is almost always next to all of the baby stuff and the newborn <laughs> stuff and mother stuff. Ah, is that the sickest thing in the world? You, you the most, see. Uh, you just, see how they work. So cynical. Bad, so bad. Cynical. And last one is that Dr. Zen, what do you think about me trying to do um, kind of meditation in normal everyday life sorts of experiences, like when I'm working in that sort of thing. This was done in March. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's actually kind of remarkable to try some of the intentionality of my meditation to my everydayness. And why are you not allowing me to meditate <laughs> with your group? <laughs> You're, you're, what are you ashamed of me? I'm not. And your Buddha friends? Um, are we hiding? Are Did you I not too ashamed to show me to them? <laughs> or what is the deal? You're you're always welcome in my in my meditation group in my home, oh. not in my bed, okay. but everywhere else. Hey, that is so great. That is so great. Yeah. And quick plug about what you're doing. A bug, a plug about what I'm doing. Zen at Work is uh, is mentorship for uh, people who are highly functioning in their work environments and want to look into how to be uh, more present with their livelihood and purpose. Wait a minute. You you should be highly functioning before I come to you? Uh, that's a problem. Highly yeah, dysfunctioning or highly dysfunctioning. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. And by high, I mean high consciousness and high awareness and high intention. I love it. Yeah. That's if you give yourself for that, I, I can help you. Anything you do to, to answer your first question, anything you do with breath awareness is meditative. I love it. So, yeah, you don't have to, you know, meditation in daily life just means pay attention to your breath. You mean I could be overthinking all of this meditation? <laughs> Almost <laughs> certainly are. Huh. Yes. It's right. <laughs> good. Well, thank you. With a little bit of work, Dr. Zen can apply some medication and turn the greatest <laughs> of all sinners into the least of all sinners. <laughs> no, the greatest wow. of all sinners. Wow. Okay. Well, when next we meet, we may be coming at you as spooky action at a distance we never know. But it's been a great time. Uh, we've co- covered a lot of things, probably insufficiently and certainly insufficiently funny. But that's what happens when you just sit down and wing it, isn't it? So we'll work on that for next time. And until next time, see you all. Great to see you guys. Love Love you guys. guys. Bye-bye.